Hey there, everybody. It's Ellen Weatherford. And Christian Weatherford. And this is just the zoo of us, your favorite animal review podcast, where we take your favorite animals and rate them out of 10 in the categories of effectiveness, ingenuity, and aesthetics. We are not zoological experts, but we do a lot of research and try our best to make sure we're presenting information from trustworthy sources. Only. No totally true animal facts dot biz <laughs> dot not fake dot scam. No answer to these 10 questions. We tell you what duck you are. <laughs> I would definitely cite that as a source. <laughs> Uh, before we get into our animals for this week, I have a couple of quick little notes, first of which is an announcement. If this podcast has had any sort of cool impact on you or your life, we really want to hear from you. You can send in your story or just tell us what the show means to you by emailing memberstories at org, or you can leave a voice message at 323-601-8719. What phone number is that, Ellen? It's a Google Voice. Oh, number okay. Operated by Maximum Fun. It is not our phone number. <laughs> that is not our personal phone number. I should say out oh, loud. I mean, I know. The idea being that if you send in these really cool stories of how important this show is to you and ways that it has hopefully positively affected your life, uh, <laughs> you just might hear that message shared on the podcast soon. If you leave a voicemail could be your very own voice that you hear right on this podcast. I've had a lot of people tell me some really cool things that like listening to the podcast has inspired them to like go back to school or change their major or make a career move, you know, like people have told us some really cool stuff. So if you have anything like that, or if you just really like the show and like listening to it with somebody that's important to you, um, reach out, let us know, and you may hear us shout you out on an upcoming very special episode. Fun. Yeah. Uh, Next thing I wanted to say is that I have a follow-up to the last episode we did together. Okay. So in our last episode together, I talked about the Eastern Spotted Skunk. Mm -hmm. The person who requested skunks, uh, Shannon Lavasser-Pierce, sent an email as a follow-up after that episode. Quote, I am so happy you decided to go with the Spotted Skunk. The episode was so delightful. Also, the timing on it couldn't have been funnier because two days before the episode went live, my big dumb dog got himself sprayed by a skunk. (laughs) He's fine. Thank you again for taking my suggestion. Obligatory pet tax attached below and attached to the email is a photo of said dog. Um, You'll have to take my word for it that the dog is extremely cute. Paint me a word picture. Like a brown, you know, brindly looking dog Mm. um very cute little somewhat floppy ears uh his name is hamlet as i asked (laughs) after that (laughs) i replied and asked the dog's name dog's name is hamlet excellent dog to stink or not to stink (laughs) (laughs) um which i I, we did in that episode talk about dogs being sprayed by skunks and it was apparently um very timely very good yeah this week it is my turn to go first awesome what do you bring us this week ellen this week i'm bringing a very cool animal that i've wanted to talk about for a really long time so i'm glad to finally be getting into it this is the bobby rusa yay the bobby rusa is not just one species it is a whole genus they're all pretty similar though so i'm not going to get too granular okay the most of the information i have is about the North Sulawesi babirusa. 
Why did you choose that one? That's the one that most that there is the most information about. They're okay. very commonly kept in zoos. So that's just what the most information is available for. This species was submitted by Sarah C. via email back in October. Sorry for taking so long to get to it. But this was also recently, uh, I shared a really cool informational post about Bobby Russas from the White Oak Conservation's Facebook page Mm -hmm. into our Facebook group and fished for requests. (laughs) (laughs) I gamed the system a little bit. But thank you for egging me on to uh, Emily Bell, Christine Baum, Michael Solon, and Gemma Bowden, who all encouraged my terrible behavior. So thank you all. You did it. My information is coming from White Oak Conservation at whiteoakwildlife.com, as well as the San Diego Zoo and a series of articles on Darren Nash's blog, Tetrapod Zoology. Excellent animal science blog that's been going for well over a decade. I think it's coming up on 15 years excellent posts on Bobby Rusa's there. So if you're not familiar with what a Bobby Rusa is, it's like it's like a little pig. <laughs> <laughs> They're not as big as like domesticated pigs that you might be familiar with. Um, they're only about two feet tall and three feet long, mm-hmm. which is 60 by 90 centimeters for metric listeners. And they're a little bit over maybe 200, 220 pounds, which is 100 kilograms. So they're not actually that big, especially if you're expecting a farm pig, which are huge. I would say not everyone has been up and close to a, a fully grown domesticated pig. So I, I think a lot of people would be surprised how big those pigs can get. That's true. If you're <laughs> if you don't see them in a context where you have something near them mm-hmm. to like understand a sense of scale, pigs might be a lot larger than <laughs> you might expect <laughs> them to get. But the Bobby Rusa is is very little compared to those pigs. They're also quite a bit slimmer, which makes sense because like our pigs have kind of been bred to be nice and plump. Mm-hmm. But Bobby Rusas are their body is kind of like barrel shaped, and then they have these really skinny little legs. <laughs> so they're kind of more like a slender, like a more nimble, like an agile pig. Mm-hmm. It's like a tactical assault pig. <laughs> Launch. Their uh, their skin is dark gray, and their hair is really sparse and short. So from a distance, it looks like they don't have any hair. Mm. They do. It's just very fine and very short. So you can't really see it from a distance. Seems like it would be wiry. I don't know if it's wiry. Um, it to me, it reminds me a little bit of the Mexican hairless dogs. Okay. But their defining feature, (laughs) the one that really sets them apart, is the face, particularly of the male Bobby Russas. So they have, first of all, from their bottom jaw, they have two sets of tusks that stick straight out, right out of their mouth. And then they have what, at a glance, appear to be two horns coming up out of their snout, maybe about where a rhino's smaller horn would be. You know how sometimes rhinos have a little smaller horn behind the big one? Yeah. It's right about there. It's kind of like coming out of the middle of the snout. And they're curly. They kind of curl backwards. Mm -hmm. So very interesting looking face. You definitely know one when you see it. (laughs) Bobby Rusas can be found in Indonesia. They're endemic there, which means that they're only found in Indonesia, in the wild at least. If you're not very familiar with Indonesia, Indonesia has tons and tons of islands. And Bobby Rusas can particularly be found on the islands of Sulawesi and Buru, as well as the Sula and Togian Islands. 
So some of those are like archipelagos of lots of teeny tiny islands all together, but they're, they're island pigs, basically, okay. that you, you can find in Indonesia. The name Babirusa actually comes from the Malay language, which is spoken in Indonesia, and it means pig deer. Huh. So if you ever hear of a of a pig deer or a deer pig, that's what it's talking about. And that's because they're a pig that has horns like a deer. Or it appears to have horns like a deer. I could see that. Sort of looks like they've got little antlers. Sure. And then within those islands, they'll be found in swamps and near riverbanks, basically anywhere where there's a lot of water and mud. As one might imagine, they're pigs. They like to hang out in mud. Um, and they are part of the pig family, which is called Suidae. That is their taxonomic family. Little side note, the genus to which the domestic pig belongs is called Sus. <laughs> so just to get straight into effectiveness for Bobby Russo's, mm -hmm. if you've never listened to this podcast before, effectiveness for us is physical adaptation. So things built into the animal's body to let it do a good job of what it's trying to do. I'm giving it a seven out of 10. It's pretty good. It's good. It's not the highest score I've ever given anything in my life, yeah. but it's it's good. So as I mentioned earlier, they have what look like these two horns growing out of their snout. Those are not horns, nor are they antlers. They're tusks. Are canine teeth from the Bobby Rusa's upper jaw. Oh, okay. And they start out innocently enough, pointing straight down, just like you would expect from a pig. But as the male Babirusa matures, something really strange happens where the canine teeth do a complete 180 and begin pointing straight up. And it's not just to say that the tooth like grows in a loop. Right. That's not what's happening. Oh. That's what I thought was happening. But when you look at like the skull of a Babirusa, something way weirder is happening oh. than that. The actual socket that the tooth grows out of, it's called the alveolus. Yeah. That socket rotates and like twists until it's pointing straight up. Okay. Right? It's so weird. Oh, that can't feel good. I mean, <laughs> I feel like there's probably not any way we could measure whether this is painful to the Babirusa or not. But like my human brain is telling me surely it must be. But I don't know if there's any way to know that for sure, whether it's know. painful or not. Seems like teething pumped up to 11. I know. Well, we have a little baby that's teething. So this is especially uh, gruesome for us. Yeah. So unlike our teeth, but similar to the teeth of rodents, the canine teeth of the Babirusa grow forever. So they grow until they break through the skin and mm -hmm. poke out the top of the Babirusa's snout. That's what makes them look like horns or antlers. That's actually just the tips of their teeth that have erupted through the top of their snout. And it's not like there were pre-drilled holes there either. Mm -mm. Nope. Yeah. There certainly were not. That would be too easy, wouldn't it? <laughs> and then once they've burst through the top, they keep growing. And they maintain this sort of curve backwards towards the Bobby Russo's like forehead, a bit like if somebody grows their fingernails out really long. You know how like you keep growing your fingernails and eventually they start to kind of curve? Yeah. It's like that. So th they do grow forever, but they can, you know, grind them down. They can break them off. There, are, That's not to say that like the tusks will definitely keep growing and growing and growing like they're going to break off at some point. Um, but once they do break off, they grow back. 
So that begs the question, why? Yes. <laughs> why? Why, do, why are you doing this? Why do they have these rogue tusks? And I wish I had a satisfying answer for you, but I don't, because it is still not completely understood. There are a few ideas about why they may have them, and none of them are like 100% sure. My first thought was maybe it's for self-defense, right? Mm-hmm. Like how deer and relatives of the deer will maybe use their antlers to protect themselves from predators. But the islands where they live don't have any large predators. Hmm. Other than like, well, humans are a predator of them and dogs, but they don't have any sort of like big cats or anything that they need to defend themselves from. And when they do encounter a predator, they run and hide. They're hmm. they're f- all flight, no fight. <laughs> so that kind of crosses that explanation off because they're not necessarily for self-defense. And then another thought is that they were used to help males fight each other. Mm-hmm. This is common thing with ungulates right animals that have hooves right often like to fight each other whether it's using them as a weapon to fight each other or almost like a helmet like a visor that's meant to protect their eyes true so that when they get in a fight with another male they're not going to have their eyes damaged right but this theory kind of loses some Wait when you look at how Bobby Russo's fight each other. Oh boy. They don't swing at each other with their tusks like you might expect them to do because their tusks look so fierce and formidable. Right. They get up on their back legs and they box with their front <laughs> hooves. Everybody calls it boxing. To me, it looks like a slap fight. <laughs> They're just like smacking each other with their front hooves. Oh my. Yeah. The tusks don't seem to be involved at all, nor do they necessarily help. Because they're also kind of like holding their head away. So it doesn't, the tusks don't seem to come into play. Maybe the, the tusk feature came before the learned behavior of boxing. That would make sense to me because, like I said, the tusks can break off. They're actually kind of brittle a little bit. Like, it's not that hard to break the tusks off. So, I mean, if they were at one point fighting with their tusks, they would have been losing their tusks left and right because they can just snap right off. Hmm. You know, that doesn't seem to be what they're for. One possible explanation is that female babirusa do seem to prefer mating with males that have longer tusks. So that kind of implies that maybe they're a symbol of longevity because I mentioned like they they grow perpetually. So if you have really, really long tusks, that would imply that you are a very old Bobby Rusa. Mm. Therefore, you have survived for a really long time, which means you must be doing something right, right? Sure. Like you have been not dying for a very long time and you may be then a desirable male to mate with, which kind of reminds me of how like, Call Drogo in Game of Thrones keeps his hair long to represent that he's like never lost a battle. Right. You know what I'm talking about? Yeah, yeah, yeah. They have like a tradition where like they cut their hair if they lose in battle, but his is super long to show how like tough he is. Uh-huh. It's kind of like that. It's also kind of like the Inca turn that we talked about a really long time ago that has that mustache. Yeah. And how the, the longer the mustache is, the more fit the individual is. Oh, uh, okay. Right? So it's just kind of a symbol of like, look how good I It's like a flex, basically. Sure. Like, look how good I am at being alive <laughs> for a really long time. <laughs> this is my medal. <laughs> yeah, basically. But my thought is, there's easier ways to do that than growing tusks through your actual face. Aren't we all a slave to fashion, though? (laughs) 
true. <laughs> That's true. Anything for the fit, I guess. As long as it looks good, you know? That kind of seems like what it is. It's like the females like it. So that's they're just like, all right, I guess we're doing this. Going to completely invest in it. Tale as old as time. I know. We've all been there, folks. <laughs> so the tusks have ultimately contributed negatively to my score for the Bobby Rusa because it can kill them. I don't know if you've ever heard of this, Mm -hmm. but if the Bobby Rusa doesn't break off or wear down those tusks, they will grow and grow and grow until eventually they can pierce the animal's skull and impale themselves in the face. For a long time, this was kind of like thought to just be, I don't know, like a folktale basically, or just like a a maybe sort of thing. But there are actual documented cases of this happening such as a skull that belonged to a very unfortunate Bobby Rusa. The skull is now kept at the Museum of Natural History in Gothenburg, Sweden. And I found a picture of that skull on the Tetrapod Zoology blog they referenced in March of 2010. So, like, that has actually happened. There's more than one. Like, there's more than one skull out there of a Bobby Rusa where the teeth have grown around through and actually, like, stabbed them in the face. Interesting. Yes. So, I feel like there are easier ways to do what you're doing without stabbing yourself in the face. It's like a method of, you know, making sure you're doing stuff and not just being lazy, I guess. It's like a reminder to get up and move. Oh, oh, like it, like an incentive. Yeah, yeah. You better to... go fight and dig or whatever or die. Yeah, you are on a serious timer there. Snooze. <laughs> Don't hit that snooze button too many times because uh, it's coming for you. That that tusk is working its way back around. So this is interesting because I was kind of wondering. I was like, how can an adaptation that could potentially kill the animal, how that could get passed on? Oh. But consider that evolution is carried out through reproduction. Right. So if you just get past reproducing, that trait is going to keep getting passed on. So if it's something that isn't going to affect you negatively until you're already very, very old, evolution has no no way to stop that. Because it's like you've already had your babies at that point. Right. Like it could be like, oh, you developed eyes that explode. But (laughs) they don't explode until you're 100 years old, though. Right. It's like... (laughs) There's no way to like safeguard against that right. because you've already had you've already passed that trade on Oops. before you know it's there. So so it's it's like as long as you have a chance to like make your babies before your teeth commit mutiny, like you're good. You just keep <laughs> doing that. My time has come. <laughs> <laughs> it's it's another example of evolution giving you an answer. Uh-huh. Not necessarily the best one. Huh. Yeah, it's not a perfect process. <laughs> There's almost an incentive to not live that long. <laughs> yeah, kind of. Or, you know, if you do, just make sure that you're, I don't know, hitting your teeth against a bunch of rocks. Right. And that can't be fun either. Mm-hmm. I feel like a Bobby Rusa does not have a very fun life. <laughs> All that being said, the tusks are a double-edged sword. But that being said, they are really fast runners and they're surprisingly excellent swimmers. Mm. You might not think of swimming when you think of pigs. I mean, I figured if they're in Indonesia. Right. Yeah. So that's actually a thing is that sometimes they will swim between islands. Right. So they will like leave their island and swim a pretty good chunk of ocean to get to another island, which is incredibly impressive. Yeah. So little little piggy swimming from one island to another. <laughs> piggy dipping. That's probably where they would most likely encounter a predator. Yeah. <laughs> 
<laughs> oh no! <laughs> Stay out of the ocean, little pig. I think saltwater crocodiles make their way up to Indonesia. I think that sounds right. I bet there's crocodiles there. Yeah. But I mean, if not crocodiles, there's sharks, sharks yeah. and all sorts of stuff in the ocean that'll just gobble a pig right up. So all that being said, ingenuity for the Bobby Rusa. I'm gonna give it a seven out of ten. Okay, um, which is like on the good side. We know domesticated pigs to be quite intelligent. They're clever mm. little guys. Um, Bobby Rusas are social. So they like to live in a group with others, particularly others of the same sex. So females like to hang out in a group with other females. And then males like to hang out with other males or by themselves. But they do kind of find strength in numbers, which is like not uncommon, like I said, for animals with hooves. Like they right. like to live in a little herd. Like many other types of pigs, they wallow in the mud to stay cool and protect their skin from the heat and the sun. Love it. Love that. Love a wallowing (laughs) animal. Big fan of the wallowing behavior. If I... I guess I could wallow. There's nothing stopping me from wallowing in the mud. I was about to say if I could, I would. And then I really thought about it and I was like, I totally could. (laughs) I could wallow right now if I wanted to. This was a whole thing in Predator. In Predator? Yeah. That's camouflage. Oh, like... (laughs) Did they do that in the movie? Yeah, uh, this this might be a bit of a tangent, but okay. <laughs> in Predator, I'm the stand-in right now for yeah. the person listening who has never seen Predator because yeah. I've never seen it. Um, so the the alien hunter, aka the Predator, <laughs> I guess the vision was thermal based. Mm. So the idea was uh, Arnold Arnold Schwarzenegger's idea was uh, cover myself in mud to hide my heat or whatever. Okay, I feel like something like this was done in Jurassic Park three. Except it was poop instead of mud. That was probably smell-based. <laughs> <laughs> little column A, little column B. Hey, cover all your bases. But anyway, that had little to do with what you were saying. That probably has some to do with what I'm saying because they probably are, like, remember their body is this, like, dark gray color. Sure. So if they're covered in mud, that also probably helps them camouflage themselves. Maybe. Yeah. I mean, that's probably not, like, the primary function, but it doesn't hurt. Sure. You know, might as well cover yourself in mud. Sunscreen. Sure. Yeah, pull a Peta Malark. If you're listening to this with your Just the Zoo of Us bingo card, go ahead and cross off the Peta Malark square. <laughs> I cannot stop talking about this guy. <laughs> there is one kind of unusual thing that they do. It is called plowing. Okay. And it is where, okay, they do this really funny thing where they kneel down, mm-hmm. they lower their head into the mud mm-hmm. or sand or whatever sort of ground they're on, and they push forward like a wheelbarrow. Huh. Like scoot, 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 scoot their face through the mud and it leaves this like furrow behind them. Okay. This is kind of thought to be a scent marking behavior. Because oh. it seems like when they do this, a whole bunch of like gunk comes out of their eyes. And it seems to maybe be that they're marking their scent in the ground. Sounds so unpleasant. I know. And like I said, there's probably an easier way to do this. But it's also <laughs> funny that they do. So I kind of am glad they do it because it's very funny to me. Huh. Yeah. I just, I, I found that very interesting. It is, uh, it's a little bit silly and goofy, and I love that. That they're just like pushing their face around in the mud. All right. I just find that so cute. <laughs> very on brand for a pig. Final category for the Bobby Rusa is aesthetics. I'm not going to lie to y'all. <laughs> I'm going to, I'm going to give it to y'all straight. This is a six out of 10. This is not the cutest animal in the world. I love this animal dearly. And 
I don't think it has to be cute for me to love it. That being said, it's not ugly. So having seen them in person, you and I have both seen them in person quite a few times. Yeah. They do have a charm about them. They have a certain je ne sais quoi. <laughs> There's something very nice about them. I think it's that their feet are small and dainty, which oh. I think is adorable. You know what I mean? Yeah, that's true. They do have those little pointy little cute tiny little hooves <laughs> i find that adorable the face is difficult for me to look at because it looks painful and that yeah. kind of stresses me out because i feel like i'm having like an empathetic headache <laughs> you know i go with this animal is perhaps in constant pain right and i can't <laughs> i know that like it probably isn't right now that being said they're Striking appearance, striking is a good word. Their striking appearance has inspired stories and art about Bobby Rusas. People that live in Indonesia have all sorts of folklore surrounding them. There are even prehistoric cave paintings of Bobby Rusas. So, according to a study published in Nature in 2014 titled Pleistocene Cave Art from Sulawesi, Indonesia, by archaeologist Maxime Aubert et al., quote, a painting of a Bobby Rusa pig deer made at least 35.4 thousand years ago. Wow. Is among the earliest dated figurative depictions worldwide, if not the earliest one. Huh. So figurative depiction meaning a picture that is meant to be of something. Mm -hmm. So like... I saw that there were other cave paintings older than this one, but they were just kind of like a circle. Mm -hmm. This is something that is meant to be, somebody drew something that was meant to represent another thing, that was meant to look like that thing. Okay. So this is thought to maybe be the oldest drawing like that ever found. Obviously, it wasn't like the first drawing sure, ever, sure. but most of them have been eroded away with time or we haven't found them yet. So this is just the oldest one we know of. Yeah, it's that um, survivor bias we talk about sometimes. Yeah, so it's it's just the oldest one we know about. Um, mm -hmm. So just art happening all over the world, all throughout human history, starting with the Babi Rusa. Very cool. Yeah, so this one is a, a muse. <laughs> To wrap things up for the Bobby Rusa, their conservation status is vulnerable. They face habitat loss to deforestation, logging, and mining in Indonesia, as well as being hunted. Um, so they're hunted for their meat and for their tusks. They do have legal protections in Indonesia, and some of the areas where they live have legal protection as wildlife reserves. There's also a carefully maintained captive population of babirusas in zoos and conservation facilities all over the world. Mm -hmm. You and I are quite familiar with the uh, babirusas at the Jacksonville Zoo. I love them. Especially since they're in the same exhibit as the Asian small claw otters. Yes. So I was going to talk about that oh, because okay. they're kept together in a paddock. So it's the Bobby Rusas and these little adorable spunky little otters that all share a big exhibit. Um, you can actually see this in a really cute video on the Jacksonville Zoo's YouTube channel. It is titled Asian small clawed otters meet the Bobby Rusa pigs. Oh. And the Bobby Russas, by the way, are named Jeffrey and Ramona. I like that. It's very cute. There's only two? I think that at the time when this video was taken, oh, which okay, I think was okay. in 2019, there was only two. But I, I just kind of pieced this together while I was watching this video. The otters and the Bobby Russas together are like the Indonesian version of Timon and Pumbaa. <laughs> Aren't they? <laughs> I like this one better. I don't, 
well, we talked about meerkats and warthogs in a very early episode of ours, and they are very cool in their own ways too. Uh-huh. But it, it's it's an otter, babe. I'm sorry. I know. <laughs> <laughs> in this exhibit together, they they have such a funny little dynamic because the otters are, of course, very spunky and energetic and playful, and sometimes they try to like play with or around the Bobby Russas that are just trying to like lay in the dirt and take a nap, <laughs> and it's it's hilarious to see. You could tell that they are. The Bobby Russas are so over it and want nothing to do with it. And the otters are just trying to play with them. Gosh, they're cute. <laughs> it's very good. Yeah. I have all sorts of really cool pictures of the Bobby Russas at our zoo. They're incredible animals and I love them. Mm-hmm. Excellent animal. Thanks, son. Thank you. Let's take a quick break to hear from our friends at the Maximum Fun Network. And then let's get into your animal. Okay. Are you experiencing minimum fun? <laughs> or perhaps average fun? Well, that simply won't do. (laughs) Subscribe now for Maximum Fun. Yeah, there you go. Ask your doctor if Maximum Fun could be right for you. (laughs) I'm going to leave that in. Okay. Carrie, is it? Oh, yes. Hi, I'm Carrie. I am Psychic Ross, and I will be reading you this evening. Oh, interesting. Well, okay. I co-host a podcast. It's called Ono, Ross, and Carrie. Yes, I'm sensing that. The spirits are telling me. It is a show about Well, it's about like fringe science and spirituality and claims of the paranormal. Oh, you knew that. You do research online. But more importantly, like we do in-person investigations. In-person investigate as well. Oh, my God. That's amazing. See? Me and my friend. This is so weird. My friend, Ross. Same name as you. Weird. He and I just go and try them all out. And actually, we've gone to a number of psychics. And to be honest with you, it's a lot like this. It's called Ono, Ross, and Carrie. They can find it at MaximumFun.org. I could have told you that. Schmanners. Noun. Definition. Rules of etiquette designed not to judge others, but rather to guide ourselves through everyday social situations. Hello, Internet. I'm your husband host, Travis McElroy. And I'm your wife host, Teresa McElroy. Every week on Schmanners, we take a look at a topic that has to do with society or manners. We talk about the history of it. We take a look at how it applies to everyday life. And we take some of your questions. And sometimes we do a biography about a really cool person that had an impact on how we view etiquette. So join us every Friday and listen to Schmanners on MaximumFun.org or wherever podcasts are found. Manners, Schmanners. Get it? So, darling, it's time for your animal. What you got for us this week? I got something wet and old. (laughs) (laughs) How luxurious. (laughs) This week I bring the Greenland shark. Those are definitely two words to describe this creature. Some of them. (laughs) Uh, Scientific name, Somniosis microcephalus. Somniosis? Yes. Ooh, that's cool. That refers to sleep. Mm -hmm. And microcephalus literally means small head. Oh, that's mean. (laughs) And that might sound familiar because of the Zika virus in recent years causing the condition, I believe, microcephaly. Uh, So, yeah, sleepy small head. (laughs) Oh, <laughs> the taxonomist had to drag this animal. Uh, and this species was submitted by Charlotte Neal via email. Thank you, Charlotte. Thank you, Charlotte. And I'm getting information from National Geographic, Animal Diversity Web, and the Florida Museum. Oh, Florida Museum. Yes. Come through. Now, let's talk about what this shark looks like. Uh, basic outline of the sharks. So you that's know good. sharks, yes. Yeah. You've heard of them. They're quite long. Not super heavy. 
Oh, really? Uh, I mean, compared to like the Great White, for example. Oh, sure. They get as long as 23 feet long. That's huge. That's not bigger than a great white shark? That is about as big as a great white shark. Okay. Lengthwise, but not weight-wise. Oh, interesting. So that's seven meters, by the way. And they can weigh up to one and a half tons, or 1,300 kilograms. And big. Yes. What they look like, they're dark colored with splotches of lighter color. So like those darker colors can range from black and brown, Mm -hmm. and then the lighter colors are could be like white or just lighter versions of the rest of the color. Sounds like a reverse leopard print almost. Sure. <laughs> and it's very submarine shaped um, with its head. Its head features are very small, which is what I think the name comes from. I get it. It's like, like a it, torpedo almost. Yeah, yeah. And they can be found in the North Atlantic. Very cold, very deep water a lot of the time. Near, say, Greenland perhaps? <laughs> that includes the range, yes. <laughs> <laughs> How come Greenland got the claim to fame for this shark? Uh, taxonomic family is Somniosidae, which are sleeper sharks. Okay. What is a sleeper shark? Sleeper sharks are sharks that are in deep cold water that don't move very fast, and they're thought to primarily feed off carrion. Okay. This is not a shark that perhaps is activated by a code word. has been maybe trained to suddenly spring into action when it hears a certain right no no so before i dig into the meat of the info i just want to say not a whole lot is known about the greenland shark i think that's par for the course with a lot of these deep sea weirdos so uh an issue i ran into researching it was conflicting information between Mm. sources a little bit oh primarily when we talk about things a little later on there's a big margin of error (laughs) true i'll talk more about that but we also don't know a whole lot about their behavior and that sort of thing i feel like they're not doing a lot yeah but Digging right into it. First is effectiveness. I'm giving an 8 out of 10 That's for effectiveness. Good. Yeah. So the first thing I want to talk about is its flesh, when fresh, is poisonous <gasps> to humans. A poison type. <laughs> you can't just chomp right into it? No, and you can't like just cook it using regular fashion like regular methods either oh so this is due to high concentrations of urea and trimethylamine oxide urea is the the p one that's one place it's found yes <laughs> so urea also known as carbamide is found in the urine of mammals first of all and nitrogen releasing fertilizers and earwax removal drops actually mm. yeah it has a ton of other applications in manufacturing, but those are some of the places you you would find this. Like that compound? Yeah. Okay. And in the body, it has to do with the nitrogen cycle. Oh, okay. Yeah. Whereas the other thing, trimethylamine oxide counteracts the protein destabilization in marine animals. Things that can cause that, protein destabilization is high water pressure. Oh, such as when you are very deep (laughs) in the water. Yes. Okay, this kind of makes sense. So like protein destabilization, I believe, means when the proteins in your body are experiencing a condition in which their structural integrity begins to break down. Right. And the proteins themselves start to fall apart. Yes. And you don't want your proteins to fall apart because then they become different things. And they're going to have a bad time. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) So this this chemical you're talking about is something that keeps those proteins held together. Yes. Okay. Yes. But there is one preparation of its meat that can be consumed. Mm-hmm. It is known as hakarl, uh, otherwise known to English speakers as fermented shark. 
Okay. So this is a dish in Iceland that is made from Greenland shark and other sleeper sharks. Oh. Uh, And the way they do that is they first have to have it ferment in the ground Mm. and it's usually being pressed. This this is like the traditional method. Sure. But it's like in a a shallow dugout hole and it's being pressed with rocks on the top to to squeeze out all those nasty juices. Oh. Um, It's also fermenting. So it's in here for months. Right. And then it's hung in like a, a... a shack to cure. Okay. So it's fermented and cured shark meat. It's described as being an acquired taste due to high ammonia content. Oh, that'll yes. do it. Yeah. <laughs> now, I, I feel like people that do really like fermented food probably like are okay with that. I don't know. Because it's, it's a smell that to us would smell like cleaning supplies. So it's been described, you know, a lot of times people trying it for the first time will involuntarily gag. Oh, because I mean, if it's not something, because I mean, everything you associate that smell to is like, no danger. Do not put this in your mouth. Right. <laughs> I mean, outside of that whole fermentation and yeah, curing process, yeah. you would be correct. <laughs> <laughs> yes, it's often eaten with a, a local liquor called Brennivin. So it's usually served like in little cubes, like with toothpicks in them, and mm-hmm. it's, it's like a, a snack or an appetizer. Neither of us have ever tried it. If you're out there listening and you have tried, what was it called? Hakarl? Yes. If, you, if you're out there listening and you have tried Hakarl, please let us know what you think, how it is, um, and if we should try it. I got to say, I would try it once. I know you would. I saw a recommendation that for beginners to pinch your nose because the smell is much stronger than the taste. Now, we've had cheeses like this, right? Where like you smell the cheese and it smells like, ooh, no, I don't want to eat that. And then you take a bite and you're like, hmm, that's actually pretty good. I guess, but nothing of this magnitude, I, sure. I guess. So that was one little thing. I don't know if that belonged in effectiveness. I thought it was interesting. That is interesting. That's like a poisonous <laughs> shark. Yeah. Not venomous. Poisonous. Right. Correct. Do you know at all if this is something that is like a defensive thing? Like, if is it something no. that like prevents it from being eaten? No, it's just a, a side effect of those chemicals being there because of its bodily functions to survive in that deep of water and mm. such. And it's just an added bonus. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, now, the next point is what they I think they're most known for is their extreme longevity. Yes, absolutely. So they're considered the longest living vertebrates on the entire planet. Wow. Yep. That's impressive. Because <laughs> there's some that get up there. Yeah, even even beating out the you know the tortoises that mm-hmm. live for hundreds of years too, but uh, it's thought that they, they they can live for 400 years. That's a lot. Yeah, I feel like I heard a report of one that was like reported to be like 600 years old. It's there's like a a range of what it could be because mm-hmm. there, there's a good margin of error in how this is calculated. So. One way they tell the age of other vertebrates is like they'll they'll take one of their vertebra mm-hmm. or vertebrae, I don't know. Vertebrae is plural, vertebra okay. is singular. Sure. They'll take a vertebra and take a cross section of it and count like rings. Mm. You can't do that with these sharks because they don't have hard bones. Oh right. right. Yeah, they're cartilage. <laughs> yeah. So that requires like a calcified tissue to do. Sure. So what they do instead is they use their eyes. Hmm. They use their eye lenses and they use radiocarbon dating. Interesting. Yes. Like to see how old like the molecules in their eyes are? Yes. So huh. I'm not going to go too deep into this cuz th- this quickly exceeded my knowledge on the subject. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, but yeah, so the way it works, basically, they, they know at what rate carbon radioactively decays into mm-hmm. another type of carbon, and they can measure that amount and, and ratio. Sure. But also, things that have existed since 
let's say the 1950s, 1960s, we'll have a flag marker mm-hmm. where we were doing thermonuclear weapons testing. <gasps> no. <laughs> yes. What? <laughs> So they have like a little like a radioactive blip on well, their like not necessarily radioactive, but just like a, a an increase in that carbon footprint wow. um, because that that happened in the oceans and it spread through the food chain and mm. all that jazz. But I guess you'd only be able to see that in an animal that's been alive that long, right? Or some or anything organic that has existed that long in, mm-hmm. in, in the environment. Sure. This was part of a study titled uh, "Islands Radiocarbon Reveals Centuries of Longevity in Greenland Shark." Uh, somniosis microcephalus by nielsen et al 2016 this is fresh stuff yeah they're thought to sexually mature around 150 years old (laughs) and that's just to get to the point where you're like reproductively mature that's just like your adulthood basically and the gestation period is somewhere on the magnitude of years Oh my god! Like several years. It sounds like reproduction is not a high priority <laughs> for this guy. Yeah. Uh, this is reminding me of like Yoda. Sure. Yeah. Like how Yoda was what like nine hundred years old, mm-hmm. and so Grogu then was a little itty bitty infant baby, right? But was actually fifty years old. Yeah. So that's something they were noticing was um, they noticed you know these relatively small specimens were having these flag markers of the 60s mm-hmm. like wow this shark is not that big but it's also pushing 60 70 years old huh <laughs> so it's like it's just growing that slowly yeah their growth rate is like a centimeter a year oh my gosh <laughs> y'all really taking your time huh <laughs> so the longevity is thought to be you know in part because of they're slow moving they live in very cold water that's just some similarities they see with other animals that have that long, that kind of longevity. Sure. So that was my next point here was them being slow. They're capable of small bursts of speed, but they're generally slow moving. Mm-hmm. So any footage you see of them, they're they're just kind of coasting along, chilling, yeah, vibing, <laughs> unbothered, staying in their lane, moisturized, extremely moisturized. <laughs> But uh, and the next thing I want to talk about was how they live in cold, deep water, and that's up to seventy-two hundred feet or twenty-two hundred meters, and temperatures between twenty-eight point four to forty-four point six degrees Fahrenheit or negative two to seven degrees Celsius. It's very cold. Yes. Cold, 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 cold. <laughs> um, they have antifreeze blood. Love it. Oh, bringing it back to the yeah, ice fish. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So that's just like another toxic thing in their so, blood <laughs> well that's that's the thing the same chemicals that make their flesh poisonous to humans also prevents the ice crystals from forming in their blood mm, very good so that's really serving them on many levels <laughs> sure um they often have poor eyesight due to parasites uh, so there's a small crustacean that leaves scar tissue on the cornea every time it attaches oh gross yeah poor thing but turns out that reduced eyesight isn't that big a deal <laughs> if you're living down in the ocean where there's yeah, no light anyway it's using other senses mostly oh yeah because sharks do are known for having very yeah. good senses they do have teeth um they have pointy top teeth and a more slicing type tooth on the bottom jaw it's like two different types of tooth yep huh Mm-hmm. Weird. And that helps them, you know, like something like a whale fall. Uh, you know, that lets them tear the chunks away. Um, smaller things, of course, they'll just swallow whole. <laughs> you mentioned that, like, moving so incredibly slowly through the water probably makes them just, like, free real estate for all sorts of parasites that just hop right on. If they can survive there, sure. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, they have denticles. 
or as I've called them previously, Denticles. <laughs> We're bringing it back. Not like, tentacles with a T. Denticles. Denticles. With a D, as in Delta. Yes. Um, so they have that, their skin has that sandpapery feel as a result. Mm. So offer some protection. And hydrodynamics. Sure. Not that they really need it. (laughs) Their diet is not super well understood. What we do know about it is mostly based on stomach contents of those that are caught. Any Um, interesting things in there? It's a pretty wide thing. Oh. (laughs) So, of course, carrion. So things that have died in the ocean. But also seals. Okay. Reindeer. How'd you get that? A horse. How did that get there? (laughs) And allegedly in 1859 was not corroborated, but allegedly a human leg. Okay. (laughs) I feel like maybe for some of these, it kind of seems like maybe something was already dead. Right. And it fell into the ocean and just happened to make its way to where the shark could get it. Right. It's hard to tell, though, because I saw one thing saying, you know... They don't see the contents of a creature that primarily eats carrion because they would expect it would be catching other things that are also eating dead animals, like oh. like small crustaceans and stuff like that. Sure, like isopods and yeah, hagfish. They're not and finding stuff. it in the quantities that they would expect. So oh. it's not totally understood. Like, do these things have the ability to chase down a seal if they really want to? I'd love to see it. <laughs> Certainly would love to see it. Yeah. You know how, like, in kung fu movies and stuff, they'll always set up this character who's usually like a really really old man who kind of like moves very slowly and is somewhat decrepit in appearance and just kind of like hobbles around slowly and then at some point somebody like attacks him and suddenly he moves really really fast and is like a kung fu master yeah 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 Maybe it's that sort of thing where it's Maybe. a hustle. Like they're just creeping by yeah. until they really need it. Maybe. I mean, understandably, they're hard to observe. So in terms of, you know, we a lot of times when we talk about sharks, we talk about what is their danger to humans, right? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, well, these things live in places where humans are not likely to be. Don't worry about <laughs> it. It's not a big deal. Yeah. Um, there's there other than that alleged leg being found, there's no other reports of a person being attacked by a Greenland shark. This is not one you have to worry about. Mm-hmm. I have seen stories of you know people that were trying to study those environments, you know, realizing they were being stalked by one. Oh, but I think that if you are already at that depth of the ocean, you have bigger problems <laughs> than a Greenland shark. I don't know. You have other things to worry about. I got the teeth for it. <laughs> Moving on to our next category of ingenuity. Not much here. Uh, Five out of ten? Maybe. Yeah. Sure. Go for it. (laughs) The only point I had here was just energy optimization. Their whole deal is maximizing their energy efficiency. Mm -hmm. So they're going to put as little movement and effort into it as they possibly can. Um, Same. So, yeah. Me also. (laughs) And then aesthetics-wise, a six out of ten. Round, mysterious... Submarine-like are my descriptors. Mysterious is a good word. Yeah. I've seen pictures of them, and I feel like they look like they have those, like, shiny, like, eyes. Yeah. You know what I'm talking about? They look like the Maybe that's just me assuming, like, oh, they're super old, so they must have, like, cataracts in their eyes or something. Well, that's possibly the scar tissue we were talking about earlier. Oh, yeah. I do feel like they, the ones that I've seen pictures of, at least, look kind of ghostly almost. Yeah. You get a nice, like, uh, picture taken by, like, an ROV or something like a remote-operated vehicle. Mm. Like, they've got, like, a little submarine robot. Robot, <laughs> like right. they're uh, piloting remotely from mm. like a research vessel or something. Yeah, those are some cool pictures. Yeah, just to kind of wrap it up with a little bit more information, their conservation status is vulnerable. 
decreasing mm. as of a 2019 assessment. They are targeted sometimes for fishing, but they are also bycatch a lot of the time too. But right. that that's the bycatch thing comes more into like trawling and nets and that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. I mean, because because dragging up anything from that depth with any speed, of mm-hmm. course, has problems. Well, that's true. Then you get that like decompression problem yeah. and like they're or, like depressurization, right? Like the mm-hmm. blobfish, how they totally fall apart when you take them up out of that mm-hmm. depth. It's also thought that the effects of climate change on their prey availability will do not great things for them. It's a common problem among things in the ocean where the <laughs> ecosystem is is experiencing a lot of change. Right. And then, of course, they have a very slow population recovery because they it takes a, 150 years for them to be able to think about repro- reproducing. Mm. So I'm sure that is something that has not been that much of an issue for them during the millions and millions of years that they've been around. Mm-hmm. But now in the, what do you call it, Anthropocene era, where the whole world is changing at a very fast pace, right? right. Uh, having that sort of long turnaround time between your generations means that it's difficult for you not just to recover your numbers, but to adapt, right? So right. Like, if you're going to make an adaptation that is going to allow you to continue to survive as a species, having it spread out like that means that the environment could change faster than you can adapt to it. Mm -hmm. We see that happening with a lot of... um, We talked about this recently with like the Blanding's turtle, for example, being an animal that has such long amounts of time between the generations, and then they can't really keep up with all the changes happening around them. Yeah. I feel like the the Greenland shark seems like they are just experiencing time on a different scale <laughs> from us, you know? Yeah, yeah. Like, I, I saw it described as there was like, like a large Greenland shark caught in recent years could have been alive at the same time as like George Washington, for right. example. Right. So interesting to think about like yeah. an animal living that long. Yep. <laughs> I mean, that being said, plants do this all the time. Sure. <laughs> Plants and fungus and stuff, this is nothing to them, right? They're listening. They're like, oh, cute. 600 years? Get on our level. These are rookie numbers. Okay, but trees can take a seat, okay? (laughs) I'm pretty sure sharks predate trees. They do. Yeah, you're right. (laughs) They've been kicking it longer than trees have. So uh, put that in the W column for the shark. It's a great animal. Yeah. Excellent shark. We've talked about so many sharks on this show. We just can't get enough I'm of not, them. I'm not going to apologize. They're good. They're they're excellent. We love. <laughs> I feel like we've also like run the gamut of sharks. We've done a lot of different sharks. Mm. You know, like it's not just the same one over and like we've done some variety. Of There's sharks. a lot there. There's a lot. Yeah. <laughs> it's a great one. Great job, Christian. Thanks. Thank you. Thank you, everybody, for listening today. It has truly been a delight to have you along with us we're really appreciative of your trust and your time if you want to connect with us on social media we're on facebook we're on twitter we're on instagram just search the title of the show if you have an animal that you want to hear us talk about you can send those to us best way to get them to us is to email them to me my email address is ellen at just the zoo of us.com. We would like to thank Maximum Fun for having us on the network. If you want to learn more about the network, there are other shows, or if you want to sign up for a membership to support us and keep our show going, you can do that at maximumfun.org. Uh, we'd also like to thank Louis Zong for our incredible theme music. Uh, Louis Zong, I believe, just put out a new single recently. Um, it's really good. Mm. So thank you, Louis Zong, for that music. We really love it. And next week's episode is going to be about stick bugs. Love it. Thanks, y'all. Bye. Bye.
MaximumFun.org. Comedy and culture. Artist owned. Audience supported.